It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Triggering change, one heartbeat at a time. Battle for freedom. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Watson Prunier from Battle for Freedom on Mojo Fiber Radio. And I appreciate every last one of you as we have another day to celebrate. God is good. God is great. And he is wonderful on so many different levels. It's not even funny. And so as we sit here and we get into this discussion, I'm hoping that you know, I'm hoping that in the discussions that we have today, that we can walk away untriggered. Uh, if you are triggered, if you are anxious because of everything I'm about to say today, may I consider you not don't pop any pills, those depression pills, <laughs> pop some tunes with Anthony Macchiotti via uh, biofeedback therapy with New Life Holistic. Whether you're depressed, uh, whether you're anxious, whether you're dealing with PTSD, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and most important, be in God. And I think that the anxiety he will take care of your anxiety and worry issues. Um, also, I want you to consider American Pride Roses coffee. It's historically great coffee and the official coffee of Mojo Fiber Radio. Uh, I don't know which one I'm going to have today. I might just flip a coin between the Burr Hamilton and Watson's White Chocolate Caramel Blend. But I am definitely in the mood for some American Pride Roses coffee today. The official coffee also of Mojo Fiber Radio and the official coffee of Battle for Freedom. Highly, highly, highly recommended. Uh, you can't go wrong. That's actually an interesting idea. Yep, I'll do that. Hey, Carolyn, uh, she went to facebook.com forward slash battle for freedom uh, to leave a comment there. And uh, if you want to, you can also go to rumble.com forward slash battle for freedom. Uh, leave a comment there. Today is going to be. I've, I've I found myself having to revisit a topic that I talked about a while ago. And it's brought back to my attention and I need to address this as fast as I possibly can because of the fact that I believe there's a great error that has come befallen us uh, when we get into the habit of trying to define God. And um, and it's 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 a terrible it's a terrible mistake. It's a terrible idea. It's a terrible concept, because in the process of doing this, they said it said that most cults, C-U-L-T-S, begin with a misinterpretation and a redefinition of who God is. Uh, and sometimes we think that, you know, the cult has to be like Jehovah's Witness or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, to come off as I mean, and you know, you know, the cults that are out there, 
worlds that change the nature of who God is. We try and say that they're, and, and I think in, in this particular topic of what we're going to talk about here, I think because of the fact that we have redefined what good is and what innocent is, we make excuses for people violating God's word and God's law on a daily basis. And it is, it is a, it is cultish, it is devilish to, t- to turn around and redefine who God is according to our liking and to our patterns. So we must be very careful to avoid this. Uh, so today is going to be a very, this is, this is a prayed about situation. I've been wrestling with this, uh, and I pray that in the midst of this um that no one will be triggered, but everyone will be in a position of uh, people will be in a position of gratitude and all of us will grow in the midst of this. This So before I get into this topic, let me do one more thing. And that's with um, let me do one more thing. And that's with uh, Romika Designs. Um, no, uh, you know, it just gotta love when this stuff uh, decides that it wants to do what it wants. <laughs> oh, did I actually do that? Yeah, I'll just, <laughs> lasershoplive.com. Check them out. Uh, great. If you want to look at a lot of the material and a lot of the things that are created by uh, Romika Designs, lasershoplive.com. You can't go wrong. So, one of the, as we go through my notes and you look at this today, I'm talking about proving guilty until God. Proving guilty until God, the end of the innocence. It's funny as I think of the subtitle, the second part of that. It makes me think of, I think it was, was it Bruce Hornsby? I know I, uh, uh, one of them, he was a big, great piano player. I think there might've been Hornsby who I saw in concert. It was, it was a, it was a great opportunity. I think it was back in New Jersey, back in New York while well, I was living back in New York. And I went to a concert in New Jersey, uh, with a buddy who actually ended up leading me here. Oh, well, God used him to lead me to Indiana from New York. And uh, it just makes you think of the end of the innocence thing. So we're dealing with the age of accountability again. I'm revisiting this because this has been something that has been touted and it has been, it has been seemingly presented as a proof text that we have found a loophole of, uh, and we have inferred an innocence and we've inferred a flaw in the word of God. We've, we've now, because, because embracing the term, the, the age of accountability, we have now inferred a flaw in the word of God. We've inferred, we've inferred a, a contradiction in the word of God. And and it's very dangerous here because I believe that in the process of wanting to want the best and we create a reality that doesn't exist, we are leading people astray because of the content that we because of what we perceive is good and right. And we and we and then implant that on God that we the we the clay are now fashioning and redirecting the potter with very bad eisegesis, which is reading into the text instead of exegesis, which is pulling out from the text. 
So there's two different things that we're doing here, and I, and I, and I, and I want us to go work through this, and please be patient with me. So I'm going to read a couple of passages to you that basically um, talk about the whole issue, issue of innocence and everything like that. And one of the ones that we're going to deal with here is it's Samuel sent um, two texts that were used to allude to the fact that there's a level of innocence that children have and that people have, okay? Uh, that there is a point in time where a person makes an active decision to rebel against God. I believe that's along the lines of a conscious decision to reject God. And that, that at that particular point, the person's accountable for every action, every deed uh, that they do. Now, this is incorrect because, again, this is now introducing a contradiction to the word of God. Let's look to a couple of the two texts that were provided as a means of this. Uh, let's see. Yep, here we go. So, um, because, again, everything, everything begins. Every, every false religion, every cult begins with a misinterpretation of who God is. So the first text that was provided, I'm just using my handy-dandy Bible here, is uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, this is the, the, the context of the story is, you remember, in um, 2, Sam, 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is, and I talked about this a few weeks back, where I read the story of David, who, was, who didn't go to war, who had a proxy war. He was at home, not leading his, not leading his troops in battle, and he was horny, and he saw another man's wife decide to take her, sleep with her, and in the process of sleeping with her, conceive a child. And because of the fact that he wanted to conceal his sin, he turned around and he decided to bring the man back to try and get the man to go home and sleep with his wife. Because, hey, you're tired from the battlefield? Please. Go do what you've been blessed to do. This is your this is your bride. This is this is bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. Go and enjoy your your bone soup. <laughs> your bone flesh soup. But it didn't happen because of the fact that Uriah had he had respect for his 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 king and his fellow countrymen who were on the battlefield. Like, why should I enjoy the spoils? Uh, these, these, I, I'm, I have every right to do this, but why would I do this to my brothers and my brothers who are on the field who don't have the pleasures of doing this? Many, I'm, you know, again, he chose not to. So David got him drunk to try and see if he would do that. And when it didn't work, David sent him out to war and put him out into the fiercest fighting and had the trip troops pull back because knowing full well he would get killed on the battlefield. And when reports came back, he turned around. He was dead. He took the man's wife, and then they got married. He took the man as a wife. Clear adultery, clear, clear military-industrial complex mentality, okay? But David thought he could conceal it. But that's not the case, because you get to chapter 12, and Nathan rebukes him. Nathan comes in and gives Daniel a story, and uh, then David is exposed, and, you know, he's like, David is now feeling horrible and feeling guilty. And we get to the point where 
uh, pronouncements being done on him. We get down and he says, um, verse 11 of chapter 12. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did seek what you for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord and and I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, the Lord has also put away your sin. And you shall not die. Nevertheless, uh, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his ho- uh, house. And then we get to verses, um, this is 16. Uh, and, you know, basically this son is taking ill. And basically they get to the point where uh, the child dies. Now, David was fasting, doing every, all kinds of things. And praying that the child will be saved, but he didn't. And then once the child died, David went back to his business. And, you know, everyone was saying, what's going on here? Because you were all tripped up because you were all burnt out because of the fact and all anxious because the baby was sick. And now that the baby's died, you've gone back to your normal life. And he said, while the child was alive, verse 22, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, this has been translated as, well, I know he's in heaven, so this is where I'm going. That's not what the passage says. He's saying he's dead. He cannot come back to me unless the God resurrects him. But that's not going to happen. So the only thing that will happen is when I perish, I will be I will go to the same direction of where he's going. Does it mean that they're both going to end up in heaven? Does it mean they're both going to end up in hell? We don't know. But to allude and say that David is now saying I'm going to heaven because of this passage, that's complete eisegesis that's completely incorrect that is a that is a that is a that is a this is what happens when we bring in our world views when we bring in our ideology and our presuppositions into the word of god this is what eisegesis is called when you read something into the text that isn't there it's making a bold assumption that david is declaring that he and the child are in heaven no such thing was made here, okay? No such thing was made here. So let's go to a second text that was basically given to basically say that um, Jesus is saying that children are innocent and they are going to go to heaven, okay? Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Then the children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. For such of them. Now, see, this is this is a danger because this is Matthew chapter 19, right? Um, but what's happening here is again, we're reading, we're reading something that's not here because I've heard that terminology before, right? Because isn't this in the the 
the Sermon on the Mount? Beatitudes. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in art, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. Uh, um, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Again, this, this language here where we're saying, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, this is basically saying, God is saying that I will bless anyone. So, so wait, what about the children who weren't brought up to him? Are they denied? The, 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 the children who can never see heaven. The, the, no, the, the people who were never brought into the presence of Jesus, were they denied heaven? Was every child who was aborted denied the opportunity to be in the presence of God? Because if, if being brought forth to God is how they should see and they were prevented, and if the disciples were preventing Jesus from laying hands on the children, then that means that every Planned Parenthood has denied every child the ability to have God or Jesus lay hands on them or the Holy Spirit, Right? You see the danger of what happens when we start to infer something that's just not there? Because we create these doctrines because we want to declare people innocent. And, and all of a sudden, we then, we then try to make out God to be this heavenly, gracious person. This is what happens when we get, we go all grace and not enough truth. But then there's sometimes when we go all truth and not enough grace. And even in the balance and delicacies of that, I think that we should be all grace, all truth, but most important, yield all of our grace, yield all of our truth to who God is and his sovereignty. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God and what he wants to reveal to us, he reveals to us. But to turn around and but it's clear that the scripture is not supporting the age of accountability. Let me tell you why it is. I believe that there is this major problem. There's this major problem with what we're seeing here with respect to the age of accountability, because we have made an error, a massive error in bringing what we have interpreted as good, as innocence as righteousness and we've laid it at the feet of God saying look Lord you are now held to these standards because of what we have defined so I want you to look at something here which is the um, where is it there it is is that it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. look at something here this is uh, it didn't come out the way I wanted to okay Let's, um, I'm just going to bring the whole thing in here because I want you to see something here with respect to um, definitions and everything like that. 
I'm going to go full screen on this one so you can kind of see where I'm going to go here. Because if you go to Merriam-Webster, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you have the definition of innocence. I want to look at this for a second here. Merriam-Webster has defined innocence in a few different terms here. Well, one specifically with we're looking at the five that are going here. First, freedom from legal guilt of a particular crime or offense. Freedom from guilt or or sin through being unacquainted with evil. Lack of knowledge, ignorance. You know, ignorance is bliss. Um, uh, freedom from guile or cunning, simplicity. A lack of worldly experience or sophistication. Chastity. I mean, so uh, I, I, it's very interesting because I think the lack of knowledge is where we uh, be and all of them, actually. Freedom from guilt or sin through being unacquainted with evil. The the idea is, oh, I forgot that passage. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm going to go to there for a second as I'm working through this thing here is we make the mistake in believing to just because they didn't experience evil or they didn't have an evil deed, that makes them innocent. But that's not true. That's not Bible. Uh, and I'm going to give you a couple of passages that you look at this. But thank you, Miriam Webster, for your definition. This is good. Um, I want to go to one particular passage here. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, some people would say, well, now you're taking the Arminian approach or you're taking a fatalistic Calvinistic approach. No, this is not Calvinism. This, this is not Calvinism. This is not Arminianism. This is just looking at what God's word says. The heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart. So before we committed any deed, God is already saying that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Now, Everything was good. Genesis 1.31. Everything was good when Adam and Eve were conceived. Okay? He said everything was good. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no separation, right? Fine. We understand this to be true. But does this mean that Adam and Eve were innocent before God? See, we have to look at the word of God in its totality. Okay? in its totality, and it has applications past, present, and future. God, The Word of God says God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, okay? As we work through this, he says he's the same yesterday, yesterday, and tomorrow. So I'm going to look at a couple of different things, because this is what we're going to get into this definition here. I found this on, um, this is the mistake that we make. Again, with presuming people to be innocent, because what we've done is we have taken an American legal term and enforced it on God. We've taken an American legal term and enforced it on God. Trying to prove that we know better about God and not let him be who he is. The presumption of innocence. This is from Cornell Law School. 
The presumption of innocence means that any defendant in a criminal trial is assumed to be innocent until they have been proven guilty. As such, a prosecutor is required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the person who committed the crime, if that person is to be convicted, to do so, proof must be shown for every single element of the crime. That being said, a presumption of innocence does not guarantee that a person will remain free until the trial has been concluded. In some circumstances, a person can be held in custody. The presumption of innocence is not guaranteed in the U.S. Constitution, However, through statutes and court decisions such as the U.S. Supreme Court case v, uh, of Taylor v. Kentucky, it has been recognized as one of the most basic requirements of a fair trial. You get that? You get that because of the fact that what we've done here is we have decided to, and hey, Carrie, thank you for joining. What we have done here is we have presumed innocence on people before any discernible deeds can be recognized for um, the presumption of guilt. So we have turned around and we've brought that doctrine, we've brought that ideology, we've brought that law of the land into the law of God and his character and have presumed people innocent. We presume them innocent until proven guilty, that's incorrect. That's not Bible. That's heresy. That's heresy because of the fact that it now questions the character and nature of a holy and righteous God. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Christopher, because that's exactly where I'm going next to. Not in my notes. Supply line interruptions are definitely here to stay, especially given the incredible talent we have working at the U.S. Transportation Department. However, you don't need to fear these interruptions. You can be prepared. Go to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com. The Daily Mojo with Brad Staggs. My suggestion was why not create another category so you have men, you have women, then you have transgender men and transgender women. And so, I mean, why not create their own unique category so we are comparing apples to apples and coconuts to coconuts? Because their whole entire shtick for the transgender community is, no, these are women. Despite the fact that they have XY chromosomes and, you know, a giant hog swinging between their legs, they are women. (laughs) Here, I'll get it. Wow. Giant hog. Never heard it quite described that way. Oh, that's great. I see you've seen Ron naked too. Uh, it's uh, weekdays, 8 Eastern, Mojo 50. After a long, hard night, I am exhausted. I need something that will stimulate me. That's why I start each day with Ron's sexual chocolate. It really gets me off to work. Find the flavor that stimulates you and gets you off to work at AmericanPrideRoasters.com. When you know it's about to get real and you really need a plan, 
and unique people on board. There's only one place to be. Sunday Long Live Radio. 5 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Triggering change, one heartbeat at a time. Battle for freedom. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Watson Prunier from Battle for Freedom on Mojo Fiber Radio. And um, I appreciate every last one of you as we have a very difficult discussion today. Um, and I don't don't think that I sit here and take this one lightly. Uh, hey, uh, Christopher joining. And Curtis, thank you for joining. Remember, Soylent Green is people's, Curtis. <laughs> I wonder if we'll hear that. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus will jerk around with Curtis. He stands before God and Jesus is like, okay. I've, 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 you're in my kingdom, but I just want to say something to you, Curtis. Soylent Green is people. Because, <laughs> you, you know, Jesus is a joker. Jesus is a joker. Uh, it would be pretty funny. <laughs> he would wait for me to be right next to Curtis when it happened. That would be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it may not even matter, but I just, again, I just, uh, God is good. That was a really great comment that came in before the break. And this is by Curtis, because this is this is along the lines of where I want us to be. And actually, I inserted this into my notes because this is this is this is good. This is this is very, very, very good. I appreciate you, um, Christopher. Romans chapter five. OK, so now I've laid the groundwork of, you know, uh, a couple of passages. What's been the argument to presume people innocent? I've laid the groundwork of how we have allowed worldly doctrines, we have learned loud worldly ideologies to insert its way into the faith, which is very dangerous. We can't do this. So now let's look at what the word of God has to say about this. Romans, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Romans and I'm this, I'm going to take this one, even though I have more verses uh, that, um, <laughs> you're silly. Uh, I'm going to go through, um, this passage here, but I'll go back to, I'll come back to Romans in a minute here, but I want to go with what Christopher said first. I love this because Romans chapter five is huge on completely shutting down, shutting down the, the idea, you know, I want to go there too. Uh, even though I have the passage from, from Christopher, I want to go because there's more passages I want to read in Romans chapter five, but let's look what he had given to us. Romans chapter five, verse 13, to be sure Sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who's, who those who did not sin by by yeah. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even for over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam, as Adam did, who is the pattern of the one of the one to come. Now, what's really good about this is again, we're like thinking, okay, well, no law, no law. We're, we're done. We're, we're safe. You know, I'm going to have to go and bring this one up first then. So I'm going to have to bring this one up because of what he shared. Uh, I'm going to move this one up here and Romans chapter two, verse 15 they show 
the, that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So here it is that even though you may not have, because everyone's like, well, if you don't have the law, if you don't have the word of God, you, you're innocent, proven innocent until proven guilty, right? Well, so if you don't have the law and you didn't know that you remember the whole idea of if you didn't know and you're ignorant of Jesus and ignorant of the Bible and all that stuff, you're 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 you, the, what about all the people who never heard the Bible? What about the people who live in that who live in that jungle uh, three three hundred miles into the African safari over the over the desert and through the hill? Grandma's grandmama's house we go. <laughs> <laughs> I took the plane to the train to the to the car to the gondola to the donkey ride and then I walked the rest of the way and I found some people who never heard of Jesus. They have to be innocent, right? You see how far we will go. I remember I remember I wish I could figure out what I've, I it was a long, long time ago. This is more than, I know this is more than 45 years ago, okay? I was at a church and they did a video of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it was very interesting. I don't I could have been in a, I could have been in a church doing a cult. I don't know. But it showed Eve reaching for the forbidden fruit. But the process of Eve reaching for the forbidden fruit showing her hand pass through these bushes and work through she had to you know twist and contort her hand to get to the fruit that she wasn't supposed to have and i believe that we do the same exact thing in twisting and turning to make god say something he didn't say to to bring in an uh, a, a doctrine that doesn't exist the the the, the fight to make the age of accountability a realism. Because people are saying, well, by the time you're bar mitzvah, you would, you would fully know you have the law and it makes you know. But Paul is saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, you're guilty. You're, you're Jeremiah 17, 9, Romans chapter 2, 15. Our conscience, our heart, our conscience. We're, we're guilty. Sin came into the world because of Adam and Eve and their rebellion. They willfully chose, think about this, they chose to disobey in their heart. They were made good, but in their heart, they chose because if, if we were made right, and we would do right, that means that there would be no one and nothing that could encourage us to do wrong. So let, let's, let's try it this way. Because I know your arguments. I'm, I'm going to give you scripture, but let's go world world scenario for a second here. Two babies sitting in a pen. Baby one, no, 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 no. One baby sitting in a pen. Hey, Brenda, thank you for joining, being part of the program. One baby sitting in the pen, enjoying themselves. They have a rattler. 
The Rattler is perfectly fine. It is a beautiful Rattler. Sprinkles, jingles, all kinds of noises. It's very loud, right? And the baby is now done with the Rattler. Uh, another baby is put in the same pen. The other baby sees the shiny Rattler and goes for the Rattler, takes the Rattler to play with the Rattler, and the first baby who gave up the Rattler wants to fight the baby who has their Rattler now. Hey, wait, hold on a second. That baby was never given the Bible. That baby was never given the word of God. Their parents never opened the Bible. Their parents never, their parents never um, turned around and, and, and whispered things to them about Jesus. So, so how, how in the world did, the, so now we're saying that the baby who was coveting what the other baby has, not the second baby, the first baby, because the first baby had no further use of the Rattler until the other baby came into the picture and was excited to have the Rattler themselves. So, where did that come from? If babies are innocent, where did that come from? Where did that spirit come from? Hey, Jeremiah 20, I mean, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Even though God made everything good, there was, and, and now we're going to say, well, did God create Adam and Eve wrong? No, free will. We have free will, but it, it, most important, more than anything else, it's like, it's not even, I'm not going to go Arminian and say that our will basically decides whatever's going on. All of this that I'm trying to say before we even get there is everything. Re you remember when I started the Bible study uh, a few years back? What is, the very, what is the very first words of the Bible? What is the very first words of the Bible in the, New in the Old Testament? The first four words. In the beginning, God. Hello? In the beginning, God. See, when we turn around and start basically saying in the beginning of a child's life, they were innocent until proven guilty. We have now inserted ourselves in the beginning. Do you get me? Do you hear what I'm saying? We have inserted ourselves into a position in a place. We do not have the right, nor the privilege, nor will ever be able to stand. This is almost like the two disciples and the mother saying, put my sons on your right and your left hand, your right and your left side. I was like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm basically saying, when we're sitting here saying about talking about the age of accountability, we don't know what we're talking about because we're inferring an innocence there. And I'm saying we have to get back to the nature. This is the reason why, this is the reason why I spend time working us through systematic theology. So when we go through the communicable attributes of God, 
the incommunicable attributes of God, the holiness of God, and we sit there, we do this study, everything rests on the goodness of who God is. Remember, David was hoping that the goodness of God would save the child. But he also recognized that God is still good if he doesn't. Job even recognized in the midst of all his trials, he says to the woman, he says to his wife, shall we only expect good from God? <laughs> so why is it the people in the household of faith, why is it the people who have turned around and exalted God for his goodness, regardless of what his decisions may be, but have relegated him to, and, and not relegated him, exalted him to be good. It's time to, it's time to start having that language. You know, we always say God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. We know that, right? But I don't think we live it. I don't think we believe it. We know it. It is, it is of head knowledge. It is not of heart knowledge. Because if it truly were of heart knowledge, we would never in any way infer, infer the age of accountability. Because the age of accountability, to basically say that if God takes a child, a baby innocent, a baby aborted, a David's child, and sends them to hell, he's not a good God. Do you understand that language? Do you understand the language that now the potter is, no, is relegated to the whims and ideologies of the clay? This is not the case. This is, this is, these are dangerous waters that we are, we're treading here. To insinuate in any way that God is beholden to our ideologies that we have contrived and conceived out of our darkened hearts is very, very troubling. It's very, very scary because now we have told God who he is and we have not allowed him to be who he is called to be. I mean, let's go to a couple of passages. Let's, let's go to David. I'm going to move this up and go back to this and I'm going to go to the, my next passage in a second here. Um, Romans, no, no. Psalm 51, 5. This was David after he was busted by Nathan about what he did to Uriah after sleeping with his wife, after committing adultery and committing murder. No, no, no. He started off in coveting. Then he moved towards lust and adultery. And then he went to lying. And then he went to, because he lied to Uriah. He didn't, he wasn't being truthful to Uriah. And then he killed Uriah. He started off in lust and adultery, and he coveted another man's wife, took her, committed adultery with her, physical adultery. And then he lied to the man and lied to the generals and then had the man killed. He was violating almost, he was violating it all. But when he was busted, David said, behold, I was brought forth, brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Did you catch that? David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. See, one of the different things that we have proposed, and this is again, this is Romans chapter five with respect to how we have inherited sin. 
We have inherited sin where, um, you know, Paul talks about just, yeah, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, remember, separation, what is the death? The, the, the death is separation from God, okay? Just because we inherited the, the penalty, the eternal separation from Adam, and the only way that we are restored back is by his grace. That's Bible, right? Through death and sin. And so spread and and so death spread to all men because all sin. Romans 3:23. Romans 2:15. Right? Because everybody's making the assumption that this is based on what lives you didn't live. And it's like, um, <laughs> we're guilty. We're we're proven guilty. We're guilty until proven innocent, and the only innocence that we have is God's grace. Bible, correct? Am I, am I saying this wrong? So let's continue in here. Uh, for sin indeed was in the world, back to what Christopher gave earlier. But I, I wanted us to wind back so you understand why we got into the idea of how sin was into the world. But because sin came into the world through one man. So even though, even though we want to say that you didn't have the word of God, we have the imputed sin stain of Adam long before we can claim any form of innocence. So even the child aborted in the womb, even the child who was born and dies, Oh, oh, the child died. Now they have their wings. I had a brother who experienced that. His grandson died, and people said, oh, now he has his wings. He's like, that's not Bible. That's not Bible. That's, that's the reason why when you see the picture of, of, of the, the broadcast, it's the angel. It's a little sweet angel sitting there. It's a little sweet angel. That, that we inflect, we inject this horrible doctrine in here that we have made ourselves God. We have made ourselves God and we have presumed a level of innocence. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> we, we're in dangerous waters. I'm telling you, we are in dangerous waters. Back away, back away, back away. Getting another passage from... Um, my sister Carolyn, and I'm thanking her for this is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. So let's see what this passage says. Oh, 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 how did I not put this in the, my notes? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts then your thoughts, amen, can I get an amen, hallelujah, hallelujah, yes, thank you, sister. I was about to break out in tongues for a second there. <laughs> we, we turn, <laughs> figurative, I'm just joking. Um, but we're, we're sitting here again, his ways are higher than ours. And so this is where... When it's literally talking about believing in the character and nature of God, 
oh my goodness. This is where, you remember where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God? You show me in the scripture where it says, the children that Jesus was referring to had faith. You show me in scriptures where it says, David's baby had faith. You show me in the scriptures where even in the garden, it said that Adam and Eve had faith. They had a relationship. They had a relationship. If they had faith in God, there wouldn't have been a fall. Correct? Correct? Because there was no person there. There was no law given. There was no law given the, the Torah. There was no Torah when Torah when Adam and Eve sinned. There was only one law. Do not touch that. Don't even entertain it. Let it go. So there was a law. There was a law. See, everybody wants to say, oh, there was no law here, but there was a law. God gave a command, do not touch that. Do not entertain that. So that means that there was a law, but we keep thinking that we have to be fixated on the Torah law to be considered innocent of the law. And God is saying any word that he has said, even the law on our conscience, that tells us the difference between right and wrong. In, in, in Genesis, when Abraham and, and uh, Abram and Sarai went to Egypt and there, a man wanted to, he said to, to, he said to his, Sarai, say you are my sister so I won't get killed because men will find you attractive and beautiful and want to take you. Their culture says that they can take you. But when the man realized that he was experiencing all kinds of judgment, he realized, wait, this is another man's wife. This is another man's wife. I can't have her. This, this was a person who did not have the law, who did not have Torah, recognize my culture is wrong because I am not doing what God has told me to do. Recognizing there was a wrong. There was no law. There was no, there was no Old Testament. We, we hadn't, when, what happened with Abraham and Sarai and Abraham and Sarai in Egypt was hundreds of years before Moses on on the mount mountain with God and the burning bush and the ten tablets, ten tablets, the ten commandments and the two tablets, huh? So so when we sit here and we're trying to, so when we're trying to bring and interject some things here, we got to be very careful. Got to be very careful. Because we're, we're taking the presumption of innocence. We're applying a legal term that has no place in the word of God. It has no place. You want to know the only innocent person was the one who died upon the tree for you and me. Period. End of statement. Because if that child was innocent, who was aborted in the womb, David's child or any other person, that child would have been good enough to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. Correct? Let's get Bible here. Let's get Bible here, because if that child, if that were the case, then that means that we go to the sacrificial cultures that basically put people on altars and sacrifice them to King Kong or whomever else, Molech or whatever, to find appeasement and peace. 
But this is not the case. What we have done with the age of accountability has now raised Molech. We have raised Molech. We have decided that we have found a, a pleasable gift to present to Molech, to sacrifice, to appease God. Right? <laughs> because if that's the case, and God literally should be, God should be blessing America like there's no tomorrow because we keep aborting children. The 60 to 80 billion million children who have died in our abortion mills should literally make America farting unicorns with God's grace. But that's not the case. It's not the case. Let's look at another passage here. John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you get that? <laughs> It wasn't his parents. It wasn't him. It was about, in the beginning, God. The author and perfecter of our faith, in the beginning, God. This was about, this is, this is, this story has always been about him. And the moment that we, incur, we enter the language of age of innocence, we have now, Syed said, in the beginning, us and God. Yet that? We have injected ourselves into the Trinity. We have fashioned ourselves a seat on the throne of eternity before God to declare who is and who is not guilty. A, a right, a rule that we do. I do not. Pro, I basically say no one is innocent. The word of God says it. No one's innocent. No, not one. Romans, let's go to Romans chapter 3. Uh, no one is righteous. What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that in all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have, together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Sometimes believe, people believe that the first act of touching, feeling, speaking, doing is basically what condemns. That's not Bible. It's what comes out of the heart of man. Heart deceitfully wicked. <laughs> Conceived in sin. Jesus said, no, 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 no one sinned, no one sinned. Because let's get back to that story of the baby who died, right? I mean, the baby who was, um, yeah, we have, ooh, got to do this quickly. The baby who, who took the rattler, right? Uh, James 2, 8, 1 and thir uh, 13, here you go. 
if you really fulfill the if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery has and said also said do not murder. If you do if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is even better on terms of the mercy. Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Finally, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not this is, uh, not the, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Saved by grace. It's his goodness that determines our innocence. His goodness, his imputed righteousness. I'm your host, Watson Prunier from Battle for Freedom and Mojo Fiber Radio. Brad Staggs and Daily Mojo's up next. And I'm out. Let's put away this lie of the age of innocence. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-O.